Um, my, oh, thank you, uh, mechanical voice. Okay, sounds good. Um, my name is Carol and I am a compulsive overeater and I am very, very grateful to be sharing at any meeting and this century hunter pounder meeting in particular because I most definitely qualify. By the grace of God, I've been abstinent over 35 years. I recently heard something, someone say something in a meeting that I used to hear all the time. People would introduce themselves when I was new this way. So it reminded me of how important it is to say that abstinence is the most important thing in my life without exception, because it is my life. Without it, I have many other things because of the gift of abstinence. And without that my life is based on that. I'm not scared I'll lose it, but I also never wanna take it for granted. And yes, I qualify for this meeting in particular. When I came in at age 28, I weighed about 300 pounds. I say about because I didn't um, stand on the scale long enough for the numbers to stop moving. Now this was the day of analog scales, not the ones that yell at you and you know give you an unnervingly accurate information, but at, you know it was easy to sort of uh, not really pay attention. Other than at the doctor's office, uh, I didn't really know what my weight was. So I approximately released by the grace of God, something like 130 to 150 pounds. Could everyone mute uh, if they don't mind? Uh, thank you. Um, appreciate that. Uh, thank you. Uh, anyway, in this meeting was this particular, the century meetings and also this Tuesday night meeting, uh, I don't know where y'all used to meet live, but I remember going out on the avenues because I'm in the East Bay now, but I came into program in San Francisco was really important. The first couple, my sponsor was not a hundred pounder, but the first couple of people who came up to me at meetings and were very slim and said, one woman, one man, that they used to be a hundred pounds overweight, gave me such hope. And I had seen, as we all probably did like a lot of before and after pictures and commercial diets, and that just turned me off. I hated it. There was something very different here. There was no ego, no bragging. It was all about service offering hope to someone who they could see was suffering. And they told me about this century meeting and explain what that was. And at that point, I was very blessed because I was early in recovery and just filled with the joy of not having to eat compulsively. So I wasn't resentful at them saying this. I kind of, it broke my denial now. I remember thinking, wow, oh yeah, that's right. I guess I am more than hundred pounds overweight. I'd never let myself think about it before. And so coming to a meeting like this where people shared my experience was extremely helpful. So let me pull back a little bit, what it was like. I was always overweight, probably like a lot of us, I perceive myself as hugely obese. When I look back at pictures of myself as a child or even a preteen, that was not true. Overweight probably, but not obese. But what was true is that I always had an unhealthy, very unhealthy relationship with food. And maybe that's why I thought of myself as so large because I knew somehow that I wanted to eat as in a way to get me that weight, you know or I was compelled to eat in that kind of a way. Um, you know, so the disease, um, that unhealthy relationship with food, sneaking, hiding food, binging, and that freedom, I think is I wrongly associated with eating. Now that's slavery. But like when I was old enough to earn my own money babysitting, I could buy junk food or when I was old enough for my parents to leave me at home alone, that meant more binging, you know, so that's a very crazy and wrong idea of freedom. The disease is progressive. I did eventually become very obese, as I said, and the eating, how much I ate progressed, especially as I left home and had more access to food. And the diet attempts became less and less successful, isn't the right word, but you know, less and more and more insane. 
I became, I tried to officially go on a diet in my mind when I was 15. And when I came in, I was age 28 and I weighed about hundred pounds more. Now, if you look at that objectively, you think, oh, maybe this dieting thing isn't working. But when I was in it, I had no idea that was happening. None. You know, I was always pretending to be on a diet or the diet that was going to work Monday, start Monday, or I'd make up crazy rules like uh, calorie is X, Y, Z calories for this food. And then I decided to eat a second one. So I suddenly reduced that was really only X, Y, Z minus 50. Like I know I'm not dumb. I know that calories don't disappear dissipate once you've eaten them, but it was just a sign of how, how sick I was and could be without this program. And it's very demoralizing to that constant, constant thing. And it's not only that I was like something close to 150 pounds overweight at age 28, this disease is progressive. I was steadily gaining. It always gets worse, never better. For some people, it may not manifest in weight. It did for me. Um, also about weight, I can talk about this here as a century meeting. The weight is a terrible thing. We, many of us have had the experience to know that. It causes physical pain. It felt humiliating. I woke up choking for breath and I was only 28. I later learned that's called sleep apnea. So weight is terrible. That's only the second worst thing about this disease. For me, the number one worst thing is the food itself and the compulsion to eat it. You know, sometimes I would give myself permission to eat anything because it wasn't yet the first Monday in whatever day or, you know, the, when the official diet was going to start. So I'd go into a store and give myself permission to get anything, but it's like nothing could feed my Jones anymore when it got really bad. I would often walk out of the store without buying anything, but I wasn't free. I wasn't free because I was being driven by food. And I bet I'm not the only person here who had this idea. Oh, if they only invented something like a pill, you could eat anything you wanted and be a normal weight. That would be so great. I now know that would be hell because the food itself is hell. To be driven by the food like that is hell. If it didn't manifest in weight, it would manifest in some other kind of destructive way. On the other side of this, I have this picture of myself two weeks absent, or I had, I wish I can't find it, it must be somewhere, but I used to hand it around with my pictures when I handed pictures out in in-person meetings. I'm only two weeks absent, so there's no um, visible, I was still very heavy, you know, I still was uh, very large, it was too short a time for my weight uh, to, to change, but I'm looking right at the camera and smiling, which never happened if, to the extent I even let people take pictures of me. Something had shifted. There was a monkey off my back, which I didn't even know was on there until it got off. So that was really the miracle. Um, also in terms of what it was like, I do want to say for me, and I know this is kind of an unpopular experience in a way, but I do not find it in the least bit useful to focus on why I am a compulsive overeater or why I ate in the, in the present or what might compel me. I just don't find it useful. The people who I saw focusing on why, why, why we're still eating. I, I mean, maybe some people here are not in that category, so I don't mean to hurt anyone. That's just what I saw. And it's something that I found really useful. I'd heard it in AA meeting. If you're in a building that's on fire, this is not time to figure out how the fire got started. It's time to get out of the building. When I would read different books on the psychology of obesity, it would make me feel worse because I would like get really depressed, like, um, oh my God, by the time I figure this out, I'll be dead. So it was actually a tremendous relief. I didn't have to know why in order to stop. It says how it works, not why it works. I could do the next right thing. And you know, when the fire's over, sometimes the fire department goes back in there and kind of checks it out to see 
help you, you know, for f- prevent future fires. And, it, you know, I'm not saying that there's no reasons. I'm saying it's not helpful to focus on. I know I come from a very strong genetic predisposition of this disease. I know that there were emotional factors. I've come much more in touch with through step work and spiritual and psychological work. And I know one factor I don't hear a lot, but it was certainly true for my case. It's not true for everybody, obviously, is that I was modeled extremely unhealthy eating habits. You know, everybody lied about that. I'll just have a little piece. No one ever ate a little piece. And a good restaurant served large portions, you know. So there was definitely a lot of unhealthiness around food, but that's not why. You know, why it's it's too late because I've gone over that Rubicon and I am a, I am an addict and there's no unaddicting. So to focus on the reasons for me is counterproductive. Um, I was doing what didn't feel right work-wise. I had some friends, although I was quite isolated, but even the friends I had, I didn't tell the truth to because I didn't know. And I kind of knew I was dying. And the first like sliver of light kind of moving in from what happened to what it's like, into what happened was I was walking in San Francisco that last year and the terrible suffering that I was in. And I saw a sign posted on a lamppost that said, are you addicted to food? It was an OA sign and it had one of those old signs with like a number of paper thing on the bottom and you, I ripped off the number, put it in my pocket, didn't call it, but something in my brain shifted. Usually if I saw anything about food or dieting or weight, I hated it. I mean, absolutely hated it. This calmed me. There was some part of me that knew it was true. It felt calming. And I now understand in retrospect why I couldn't hear anything about dieting, but I always related to movies or songs about drug addicts and alcoholics because I am. I mean, I'm also addicted to those things, but my relationship to food is like an alcoholics to alcohol or heroin addicts to heroin. So those, I I got it. I couldn't even explain it to myself, but I like totally, totally got it. when I would hear things like that. And then that is actually how I got 12 steps through a family member, my dear cousin, like a sister to me, who I had seen get off drugs. Thank you, that's perfect, thank you so much. She didn't have a uh, food problem, but she had been on a you know a serious drug user, abuser, and was able to kind of get sober clean on her own, white knuckling it, therapist, but she was not happy or in a mentally great place. And then she started to go to AA meetings and I saw a dramatic difference in her. She was calm and happy. And she had an O, I think, I guess she had an AA friend who was also an OA, who she must have told about her cousin. Because uh, when I, I went to visit her in December of 86, my cousin, she invited me to go to me. And since it was like, it felt, I do identify as an alcoholic now also, but it was like seeing what she was into. So it felt safe. So I don't know what I expected. Like maybe I had seen too many movies, but I expected a bunch of like crying people or like laying on the floor in black light, moaning, oh, I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> it was nothing like that. It was a bright group of happy people. And what was so amazing to me is they were happy about not having to drink. And my cousin had said to me before the speaker started, every time he says alcohol for food, and I totally related, this man's life story had nothing to do with mine but it was was real for me. Like, so I had always thought of a diet as something like a a long, dark tunnel of deprivation, such a burden because it takes so long and I'm so heavy. And somehow these AA people helped me see that it was actually a privilege to not have to eat compulsively. 
So I felt hope there. And it also ruined my eating, as they say. Once they plant the seed of your true nature, it's, it ruins your using. So it wasn't yet the first Monday in January. So I couldn't start the yearly diet. And I went home and had two weeks of really dark, dark and miserable eating. But I used the fake energy of January, first January of 5th, which was of 87, first Monday, to come into the, into the meetings, excuse me. And maybe, excuse me, it may be fake, but it got me in the door. And something happened that day that I really can't explain. Before that, I could not walk across the room without eating. And I haven't had to live that way since. And there's a way that I can describe it that makes it sound magical. It's not. Like someone would say, oh, yeah, she was struck abstinent. I won't. It, makes, it actually makes me feel bad as if like I got something. No, things happened. One of the things that happened that super helped me, I'm glad we don't have required food plans, but it was helpful to me. There was a suggestion. They read from this little card your first, the first night. Um, we suggest three meals a day, nothing in between, and abstaining from your personal binge foods. And that day I had not eaten breakfast and lunch. I often didn't eat breakfast or lunch, but I was 300 pounds because once I, I didn't also had a big, a long hour job and I tried not to eat in front of people. So I basically just started to eat when I got home or all day on weekends and I just kept eating. So this day I'd had like no breakfast or lunch, but a semi-healthy dinner. And I went home and didn't eat again. Probably the first time I had eaten after dinner since I was a, like a little child and had any say over my eating. And then the next day I tried that three meals a day, nothing in between and abstaining from personal binge foods. My food plan got refined later that it's, it became more detailed than that. But I'm so grateful for that impetus to just start because the second part is to just seize the willingness I was given. You know, people say consult a nutritionist, that's fine, but you don't have to wait for that to start. You know, get the details later. But it was so basically what happened is that by the grace of God, I, I, got, I got released from toxic foods, you know, the extreme toxic obese, you know, obese creating foods. And then other details came later that I needed. But if I wait, that was a gift. It's like seizing the willingness, even if it's just one small thing, whatever anybody's willing to do is really what really, really helped me. And one of the reasons I know it's a gift is that I never I didn't feel deprived. It felt like it still feels like a privilege. Um, okay, another part that I think is important as I move into what happened, what's like, what happened into what it's like now, when I first got abstinent, especially that first year, there was really intense emotional withdrawal from food. You know, I was kind of probably not so certifiable that first year. And I was so blessed to have a wonderful sponsor and other old timers who I would just call up and go, <laughs> and they'd say, yes, yes, dear, you're doing fine. You know, my sponsor would say to me, if you were six months off heroin, you'd be feel grateful that you could get out of bed and tie your shoes. And I was essentially six months off heroin. My old friend Bill, God rest his soul, used to say um, uh, that uh, that food was like heroin and he was clean of heroin. It's an M blank F blanker, you know, um, and it's true for me. Uh, and thank God I don't have to live that way. So, so that was like normal. And my sponsors helped reassure me this was like an like to be so agitated with a natural reaction to not using. You know, the, it says in the doctor's opinion, a big book that the addict not using is restless, irritable, and discontented. So that's a natural state when I'm not using. That can get better through the steps, but it takes time. So the disease plays a trick and says, you see, you're upset, you have to eat. But I was upset because I wasn't eating. That agitation, that 
genus is natural. It's not comfortable, <laughs> but it's natural. And by the grace of God, just having people listen to me and encourage me, just hang out. It's going to get better. And it did. Um, so I'll just say a few things uh, in terms of what it's like now. How do you sum up 35 years? I know I spend a lot of time on what it used to be like and then what happened, but what it's like now, physical, emotional, spiritual. My sponsors bless me by telling me, don't eat no matter what. That can sound harsh if you hear it in a certain tone, but please don't hear it as like a drill sergeant barking in order. Hear it as a promise and a blessing. You never have to eat, that I was being told, no matter what happens. Lots of shit happens in life, excuse my language. Some I create that really I make worse than it is. Others are really hard things happen to me and everybody else. Really hard things happen to all of us as a group, as a community, which we've unfortunately had to see. But it, as it, it says, there's a quote in the big book in one of the stories about how sobriety has to have a life of its own. My abstinence needs to have a life of its own because otherwise I'm like thrown about by the whims of life and there goes my life. You know, and one of the contrary things, that I, not really contrary, but contrary to what you might hear a lot is that rather than having to eat because quote unquote, one feels emotional, such and such, which has not been my experience, that one has to, because my sponsors told me I don't have to, thank God, positive brainwashing, is that abstinence can be a source of emotional stability. When everything else is kaflui, I have my abstinence by the grace of God, and it's something I can stand on. My father died fairly early in the program, and uh, he was older, but still he was my dad. And I went back to New York, where my parents live, where I was born, and the first thing I did when I got off the plane with my me, my sister-in-law went to the grocery store because I knew the kind of food people bring to a house of mourning. And it actually grounded me. It helped me. It helped me feel solid and easier to deal with this very difficult situation. Um, emotionally, I have many. Oh, one other thing I want to say about food. Um, as I get older, there is the situation of needing to eat less to weigh the same. This is really not a fair rule of life, but it does seem to be a rule. So that has happened several times. It has never worked for me to pray to lose weight. I have to pray to eat less. <laughs> That's, that seems to be a much practical thing. It's not a moral issue. A 25-year-old male marathoner could probably eat five times as much as me and you know, way less or you know, way less proportionally. That's just how it is. Um, emotionally, I feel moments of real joy, which I never did before. And which when I get depressed or even more, I tend to get anxious. And that's relatively frequently, I don't feel completely lost. There's a path up and out. You know, another quote, it says in the, in the promises, uh, we will comprehend the word serenity and you know peace. I try to parse that carefully. It does not say we will always be serene and at peace. We're going to comprehend the word. <laughs> I'm going to understand what the word means, which means I've at least occasionally experienced it. And I have, maybe more than occasionally, but I wouldn't want to quantify it, but it's probably not more than half the time, but frequently. There's a, there's a, and there can be a calm even in the midst of the storm as well. That can be helpful to me. Um, and the other thing that's been the most helpful emotionally is I was so beautifully and sort of fiercely trained in taking my own inventory, even before I did my fourth step. I would complain to my sponsor about whatever was bothering me that day. And she'd always listen patiently and then say, have you looked at your part? Have you done your 10th step? I not only found this question annoying, I didn't understand it. But over time, and using examples from her own life, I came to understand it. And it has been a great blessing because I always have a part. 
happen. I did have an active part that I'm not acknowledging. But even if I didn't do anything, I'm responsible for my reaction. Why am I reacting to this person? What's going on for me when I'm reacting to this person? Am I putting on them something that's my responsibility? So I say something like, well, he thinks I'm or she made me feel. I don't know what he thinks. Why is it my business? She can't make me feel any which way. It's about taking responsibility, which is so empowering because I will tell you right now, my success rate of changing other people is quite is quite a bit below nil, if not lower. Um, 20 minutes. Five left. Okay, great. I'm almost done. Um, spiritually, it's less important what I believe, although I like exploring my beliefs and what I do, prayer and meditation. Uh, I have to speak to this person called God, even if I don't intellectually believe in that exact concept. And I will say too, um, to myself that sometimes I can just go through the motions and it needs to get you know, deeper each time. Um, and this program really works for everything. Deaths, illnesses, national, national, international calamities, but works doesn't mean what I want it to mean, like, ah, total serenity. It means I don't have to eat compulsively and can kind of get through it. It says somewhere about the program lets us match calamity with serenity. That's a little overdramatic. First of all, I see calamity sometimes, but it's not that calamitous. But if I get something that feels calamity, what it means is I can kind of get through it. I don't have to eat compulsively. And that eventually I will feel less calamitous and will get kind of closer to serenity, what my friend calls sane adjacent, <laughs> you know, so I can kind of get there, but I'm certainly not just like calamity, flat, I have a program, serenity, you know, it's much more of, of, a, of an ongoing process. So it's just really, really great to have that, you know, um, and as I know that the fellowship is so important to me and making people have been with me through all these ups and downs and we can support each other and it makes such a difference you know so um i think i'll i think i will oh one other thing is that they uh uh yeah this pamphlet which i think it might have gone out of print or something but called when before you take the first compulsive bite remember it says um don't focus on any real or imagined pleasure you got from food that needs to be true for me to not focus on that they say in AA, remember your last drunk not your last drink and when your heart is heavy or your your spirits are low. You have a, you have a friend. You know, where it is anonymous, and I have lots of friends. Thank you.